going to continue uh, looking at the Lord Jesus' teaching on prayer as given in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, thus far, uh, we, we've looked in Luke 11, uh, and we saw first that parable of the friend at midnight and how he got what he asked for because of his importunity. And we learned there from that parable that there are some answers to prayer that we will never receive uh, based uh, solely on our relationship to God as his children. There are some things that we can only get through importunity, uh, through that shameless uh, persistence that keeps knocking until we get what we've asked for. It's that next level uh, kind of pleading with God that is required of any true intercessor. Uh, then we looked at the verses that followed that parable, uh, really focusing on uh, Christ's command to ask, and you shall receive, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be open unto you. And with that, uh, we saw some principles about how to pray. With that word, ask, we're reminded that we need to be definite. We need to be specific in our requests. Uh, we're not just praying for the sake of praying. We're asking specific things of God, expecting to receive from Him. Uh, then with that word seek, we're reminded that in prayer we need to be diligent. Uh, we're on a mission. We're not just window shopping. We're not just browsing. We're going to God to get what we need. And then with that word knock, we need to be determined that we just keep at it. We just keep knocking until we receive what we've asked of God. In Psalm 27.4, we saw this summarized. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That reminds us of this idea of asking. That will I seek after. That's seeking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's knocking. When you begin to see God answering your prayers, when you begin to seek His face, when you experience fellowship with Him, you're going to be knocking day in and day out uh, to keep enjoying that fellowship with Him in His presence. And that reminded us that the desire to know God is at the heart of every effective prayer life. If our prayer life is, is only motivated by uh, getting things that we want to make our life more comfortable or, or protection from evil, if, if those are the only motivators, our prayer life is only going to go so far. But if we are motivated by this hunger inside to know God, uh, then we're going to experience some effectual prayer. So we looked at how to pray. Uh, then we looked at two reasons why we should pray. Remember, there was the logical reason and the theological reason. The logical reason is simply, we should pray because it works. It works in everyday life. Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it's open to them. It works in everyday life. How much more does it work with a loving Heavenly Father? And that's the theological reason. If, if earthly fathers give good things to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to us? And more than anything, give us Himself. Uh, give us the fullness of His Holy Spirit. There could be no greater gift. We also looked at why we struggle to pray. Uh, if, if God told us how to pray and told us why to pray, and, and we couldn't have better motivation than what He gives us, then why do we all struggle so much in this area? Well, we saw one, because we do not naturally trust God. It is totally unnatural for us to trust God 
to provide for all of our needs. Only the Holy Spirit working in our hearts can bring about that kind of trust in God. And then number two, we saw we do not naturally want God. You see, in prayer, what God is offering to us more than anything else is himself. And if we don't naturally want God, then we're not naturally going to want much of prayer. But the Holy Spirit has been given us uh, to teach us to trust God and to stir up within our hearts a greater and greater desire for him. And so uh, that's what we've learned thus far on prayer, at least on Thursday nights. And now we're turning to Luke 18, where the Lord Jesus continues to teach his disciples to pray. If you look back uh, at verse 22 of chapter 17, uh, there you find that the particular audience to which the Lord is speaking is his disciples. And how fitting that is for a Thursday night where the disciples of the Lord are gathered together to hear him teach us. So let's begin here in verse 1. Uh, but before we get into the text, let's ask God to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us your son. And through his teaching, through his person, through his finished work on the cross, we thank you that we can know you and that we can enjoy prayer. And then, Father, we ask that in these next few moments, as we look at this passage of Scripture, as well as others, we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, that you would stir up within our hearts a desire to pray, uh, that you would teach us to pray. I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me and empower me, uh, guide my tongue to say exactly what you once said. Father, please speak to each of our hearts now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll read verses 1 through 8 responsively. I'll read verse 1. You can read verse 2 all the way through uh, to verse 8. The Bible says, Luke 18, 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So in verse 1, we see uh, the reason why the Lord Jesus gives this parable. It's as if we get to see into the mind of our master teacher uh, to see the reason why he's telling this story. And it says in verse 1, He spake a parable unto them to this end, for this purpose, to show them that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So that is the overarching principle. That is the truth that the Lord Jesus wants to get across to all of his disciples. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then when we look at the parable, it's going to illustrate that truth for us. Now, from, from that statement, men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
we can learn quite a bit about prayer. Number one, if you're taking notes this evening, we learned that prayer is an all-inclusive obligation. It's an all-inclusive obligation. Notice, it says, men ought always to pray. That word men there, it, it's not speaking uh, only of, of males. It's speaking of all mankind, all humanity. All men ought always to pray. Now that word ought, uh, for us, we may not uh, naturally understand the full import of that biblical word. To some, that this may seem like a suggestion. Hey, this is something you ought to do. Uh, you should do this. But there's great thrust to this word in the scripture. This word ought means something that is necessary. Something that uh, should be done because of compulsion. Uh, someone is compelled to do it. Uh, it's something that has to be done. Men must pray. Must always pray. In fact, elsewhere in the New Testament... Uh, this same word is translated more often, must. Uh, Luke 2.49 would be an example of that when, when Luke uses this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Luke 2.49, he's quoting the Lord Jesus as a 12-year-old boy where he says, I must be about my father's business. So this matter of prayer, it is, a, it is an obligation it is something that every believer in the Lord Jesus must be engaged in always. That's why we say it's an all-inclusive obligation. This command to pray always it is not just for some super spiritual group of elite Christians. It's for every believer. It's an all-inclusive obligation. Now, with that word obligation... Everyone in this room, you, uh, many have work obligations. You're expected to either be at work at a certain time or to at least get a certain amount of work done by a certain time. That's an obligation. Uh, you have to attend meetings, whether they're boring or not, whether you feel like they're helping you or anyone else or not. It's an obligation. You have to be there. Uh, all of us have family obligations. Uh, I, I've understood this more now being married. I have an obligation now to two sides of the family. And uh, Miss Andrea's parents would love to have us at their house at Christmas. Mrs. Makai and Pastor Makai would love us to be with them. So there's these family obligations uh, that must be met that we take seriously. So we're familiar with this idea of obligation and with work, with family, with friends, with school, we seem to have little trouble keeping our obligations. If you don't keep your obligations at work, you're probably going to lose that job. If you don't keep your obligations to family, you're going to have strained relationships. But in our Christian life, how many of us treat prayer as a non-negotiable obligation? Something that must be done. It's an all-inclusive obligation. Number two... It's a full-time occupation. A full-time occupation. Notice the text says, not only should, should men pray or must men pray, but men ought always to pray. 
Now that word always, what do you think it means? Always. Uh, in fact, the, if you want to break down the, the root of this, I, I remember a, a message that Pastor Mackay preached from 1 Thessalonians 5.16, when the Bible says rejoice evermore. You know what that word evermore means? It's the same as this word always, and it literally means every when. So in every event, in every circumstance, in every situation, we as believers are to be engaged in prayer. We are to pray always at all times. Now this word occupation, yeah, that can be defined as the principal business of one's life. Or often we think about someone's occupation as their job. So what takes up 40 or 50 or 60 plus hours of their week, we think of as their occupation. But do you realize that as a Christian, what God expects to be every single one of us, our full-time occupation is this matter of prayer. In Colossians 4 verse 2, we are commanded, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. You know what that word continue means? It means to be devoted to something. Now your job, your occupation, your career, that's something you're devoted to. That's something that your schedule is built around. But as believers in Lord Jesus Christ, more than a, a particular job or a career, what our full-time occupation that God expects to be is this matter of prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if when someone asked us, what do you, what's your occupation? What do you live for? If one of the first things we thought of is I am an intercessor. I am someone who prays that God has, has saved and put in a church family and has called out to be someone who is a full-time prayer warrior. You know, that's not just for a select group of people in the church that we call intercessors that have cool keychains and are in a group chat. Every single Christian is called to this full-time occupation of prayer. That, that command to continue in prayer and, and that word, uh, we see it in Acts 2.42, in Acts 6.4. That's the early church. And it, it tells us that they continued steadfastly in prayer. And, and the same term is used of the apostles, and of the ordinary church members. It's not just missionaries. It's not just pastors who need to give themselves to prayer. It is every believer. Romans 12, 12, we see the command once again. And in Acts 10, 7, I love this. This same word that, that is used of continuing in prayer, of devoting yourself to prayer, it is used of one of Cornelius' soldiers who were told waited on Cornelius continually. So that soldier's job was to be at Cornelius' side doing whatever he needed. He waited on him continually. That was his occupation. That was his job. And God uses the same word to describe how you and I should treat this matter of prayer. Christian, do you realize that this would change your life and my life, if we actually began to obey this command of God? Because do you realize if you take seriously the command to pray without ceasing, there are certain places that you won't go. 
Because there are certain places that you know in your heart aren't suitable for prayer. There are certain things that we won't look at on our phones or on our TV or on a computer screen. If we are to be praying without ceasing, continuing in prayer, we know that we can't be looking at junk on a computer screen. We can't be watching uh, certain entertainment and continuing in prayer. There are some relationships that we'll have to give up. If you're hanging around the wrong crowd, the, the wrong type of people, you're not going to be able to remain in a spirit of prayer and be around people that hate God. It won't work. This will change our lives if we took seriously that this is our full-time occupation. We think about that command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, and people begin to ask, what exactly does that mean? How, how exactly do you obey that command? Does that mean that we're supposed to be 24-7 on our knees? Of, of course not. Here we all would be disobeying that command. Uh, does that mean that we're constantly voicing prayers to God? Well, that's impossible. How can I be talking to you right now and praying at the same time? That's impossible. So, so what does this command mean? Well, although we can't always be in a particular place of prayer, or although we can't always be necessarily in the act of voicing our prayer, we can always be in a spirit of prayer. We can always be living dependent on God moment by moment. And, and I, I heard a sermon from, from Charles Spurgeon, and he brought out a great point. If you pray for something and then go out and live in, according, in accordance with that request, you're in a way continuing to pray. What did he mean by that? If you ask God, Father, could you, could you help me today to glorify you and to love my neighbor as myself? And then you get to work or you get to school and you have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone by either just asking them how they're doing or, or giving someone a track, whatever it may be. In that moment, you're not voicing a prayer to God, but you're doing everything you can uh, to bring about the fulfillment of that prayer and live in accordance with it. And so this matter of praying without ceasing, you may not always be on your knees or always be in the act of praying, but you can live in a spirit of dependence on God. Prayer, it's an all-inclusive obligation. It's a full-time occupation. And number three, it's a no-quit operation. It's a no-quit operation. Notice what our text says. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That word faint, it means to be discouraged, to give up, to lose heart, to lose one's motivation to accomplish some valid goal. The finish line's too far away. We're too far behind, so I just give up. That's what it means to faint. And in Galatians 6, 9, the same term is translated weary. And there we are commanded by God, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This word operation, a no-quit operation, it reminds us of military operations. And a, a military operation cannot be successful if soldiers on the ground give up when it gets hard, if they give up when it gets tiring, 
if they give up when it seems like they've lost hope, that operation is going to fail. And we have been called as Christian soldiers to engage in this matter of prayer. Ephesians 6 verse 18, right at the end of, of, of the armor of God, and I believe as the really the capstone to all the armor, we are commanded praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. There's a no quit attitude here. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter whether we're discouraged in this area of prayer. We don't give up. We don't faint. We keep on praying always. Now, Christian, here's where we got to ask ourselves. Is this how we look at prayer? If we're going to be honest, is this how we view prayer? Do we actually look at it as an all-inclusive obligation? Is there a compulsion within us? Is there an overwhelming sense that I must pray always? There are obligations in our life that we have, we are obligated to eat food. Our, our stomach compels us to eat. We are obligated to fulfill certain responsibilities in various areas of our life. But do we feel obligated to pray? Or is prayer something that's optional to us? Obligations aren't optional. They, they must be carried out. And prayer is an obligation. Do we look at prayer truly as our full-time occupation? Christian, do you have a conscious awareness that, that God wants you to be praying without ceasing? That God wants you devoted entirely to prayer? Your heart and mind and soul devoted to this. Is that how we view prayer? Or is it just something that we squeeze into our schedule? Okay, I think I can carve out 15 minutes here, check off prayer, and then I'm good to go the rest of the day. That is, is not a biblical understanding of prayer. Christian, let me ask you this. I've heard this many times, and it's a great quote. Is prayer your first response or your last resort? Do we pray after we've tried everything else? Or do we pray first and then do what God tells us to do? Is prayer our first response or our last resort? Here's another question. Do we pray when things are going well? Or do we only pray when we're in trouble or when we're desperate for help? That is a good test of whether or not we really understand true prayer. And I think for us as Canadians living in such a, a, a prosperous society, it's easy for us to lose sight of how much we need God. We have our needs met. We have our belly full. We live in a nice house. It's very easy for us to get complacent in this area and, and, and not be aware of our need for God. And are we really keeping in mind that this is a no-quit operation? Are, are we praying when we don't feel like it? Are, are we praying even when we're discouraged? Are we remaining committed to prayer no matter what? This is what God commands us to do in this area of prayer. But, but before we move on, let me remind you, with this word obligation, often that has a negative connotation, something we have to do. What a privilege that God invites us to take 
any and every request to his throne and ask him to help us. Do you realize what that means? That means that your heavenly father, the God of the universe, cares about every minute detail of your life. You know, there are a lot of minute details of our daily lives that are pretty mundane, that no one else cares about. I mean, you've experienced this. You go to talk to someone and you're excited about something in your life and you can tell they have no interest in listening to you. They're just waiting for you to shut up so they can talk. But God doesn't just care about the exciting moments, the big things that are happening. He cares about every minute detail of your life and he wants you to talk to him about it. And prayer doesn't have to be this, this overwhelming burden. It's a great privilege that God wants us to pray without ceasing. Now, for the little bit of time we have left together, let's look at the widow woman and see how she exemplifies for us this spirit of praying always. What do we learn about this lady here in this text? Why is she such a good representative for us of why we need to pray always? Well, number one, she had an adversary. She had an adversary. Verse three, there was a widow in that city and she came unto him, the unjust judge, saying, avenge me of my adversary. This word adversary it is someone that you're in a legal dispute with. And in her case, this adversary had gotten the best of her. This adversary had taken advantage of her situation as a widow and, and it was making her life miserable. And so she goes to the unjust judge and she says, avenge me. I want justice. But you know what? Every single one of us as believers, we have an adversary too. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it's the same exact word. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he made of our. Christian, why do you need to pray always? Because you have a very real enemy who is after you every single day, and you're no match for him. You're no match. You really think that you can overcome someone with thousands of years of experience, tempting and tormenting God's people and getting them to sin, and you think you can survive without prayer? This woman had an adversary, and so do we. Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 12, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles means trickery. The, the devil doesn't come to you with, with pitchfork and horns, really obvious, say, I am the devil. I'm trying to make your life miserable. He's deceitful. He's an angel of light, we're told. And he will get the best of you if you're not praying always. Number one, this, this widow woman, she had an adversary. And so do we. And that's why we must pray always. But number two, what do we see about her? She needed help. She needed help. The Lord Jesus chose to, to portray this widow woman because it's someone who's helpless. It's someone who, who can't afford a lawyer, who doesn't have a husband to defend her. And in Bible times, uh, women 
uh, were not respected as they are today. Uh, this woman was in a very precarious situation. She was helpless. She could do nothing to change her situation. She could not overcome her situation on her own. And that is why she went to this judge. A and Christian, you and I have got to understand that spiritually we are helpless without God. That we desperately need him. Christian, you need the Lord every single day and you need to pray without ceasing. One, we've seen to avoid spiritual injury. You've got an adversary who, who wants to harm you left and right. And that is why we must pray in Matthew 6, 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're helpless to overcome the enemy of our own. We've got to have God's help. We will encounter spiritual injury every single day if we don't get his help. But, but we need God's constant help because also of our spiritual inability. Our spiritual inability. How many times do we have to read this verse before we begin to believe it? John 15 verse 5. Without me, ye can do nothing. How many times do we have to hear that verse preached? We have to read it in the Bible. And I preach to myself as much as anyone. How many times do we have to hear that before we actually believe it? If we really believe that without him we could do nothing, then we'd pray without ceasing. Because we would always be conscious of our desperate need for his help. Why do we have this spiritual inability? Because Romans 8.8 8 tells us, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Doesn't matter how much of the Bible we know, it doesn't matter how long we've been in church, without the Holy Spirit of God enabling us, we cannot please God. And that is why we must pray without ceasing. I would encourage you to jot down 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. We're giving a very, we are given a very important warning that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be in a pile and they're going to be tried by fire. And those works that we did in the flesh, in our own strength, for our own glory, they're going to burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. And only what we depended upon God to do through us, only that will stand the test of the fire. And, and, and only as we are continuing in prayer, will we be able to lay up treasure that will stand the test of the fire. Because it, it'll be works done in the power of God's Holy Spirit rather than in the weakness of our flesh. This woman needed help and she went and got it. Even though the judge was unjust, even though he was a cruel man, she went to the only person that could help her. And we get to go to a loving father to get the help we need. Number three, we see about this lady. She had an adversary. She needed help. And number three, she wanted justice. She wanted justice. Now this judge, he's the perfect villain. You, you can't get a better villain than this. In fact, you think about some of the movies you've seen with villains, they, they fit this description. He didn't fear God and he didn't regard man. And because he didn't fear God, that made him unjust. He had no law that he was abiding by. So he's unjust. And because he didn't regard man, he was uncaring. 
So you got this man who's unjust. He, he's not governed by God's morality. And you have him, he's also uncaring. He, he doesn't care one bit about this lady or her problem. But look at her boldness. She goes straight to this man who no doubt everyone in the city knew he was an unjust judge. And she boldly demands that he would avenge her of her adversary. Now, Christian, there's a great principle here that I hope you'll catch. Uh, and then we'll close it down for tonight. But if, you, if you'll stay with me here. How did she have this kind of boldness to approach this evil judge and demand justice? Well, a couple reasons. She knew the difference between right and wrong. And she was certain that she was on the right side, that her cause was just. You know what, Christian? That is why so many of us struggle in prayer. Because we don't have the certainty of this woman. When we come to God in prayer, we don't come with the confidence that our cause is just. That, that we're on the right side. That what we ask for is according to God's will. And so we falter in prayer. Oh, we don't come to him confidently. And this idea is given to us in, in 1 John 3. Bible says there, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Christian, if, if we are not obeying God, if we are not living a just life, if we are not conforming to the image of Christ, when we go to God, if we are not going with Christ's righteousness and in the confidence that he justifies us and that he makes us worthy to enter God's presence, if we're not going with that kind of mindset, we're not going to have the certainty of this woman. We're not going to have the boldness. We're not going to have the confidence. And this is why so many of us don't enjoy prayer. Unjust thinking will hinder prayer. If you're not certain in your mind about right and wrong, if you're double-minded and, and half the time you're trying to please yourself, half the time you're trying to believe God, that unjust thinking is going to hinder your prayer and unjust living hinders our prayer. This woman could come demanding justice because she know, knew that she had done what was right. And when we're living right with God, it's going to give us a boldness of prayer. Now that doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in order to pray, because none of us is perfect. And, and when our heart condemns us, that's when we need to confess our sin, claim Christ's forgiveness. We, we go to God through the blood of Christ. But if we are not living yielded to God, living on his side of justice, we're not going to have the confidence that this woman had to demand what she needed. In closing, Let's focus on these last couple of verses. Here, encouragements to us to begin this life of praying always. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Christian, do you want to begin praying always? Do you want to begin praying like, like this woman with this kind of boldness? 
I'll give you two points in closing that have to do with our relationship with our Father. Number one, you've got to trust in your Father's Word. You've got to trust in your Father's Word. Verse 7, Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him? This is just one of many promises in Scripture that God will hear our prayers, that God will answer us, that God will work on our behalf, but we have to trust His Word. And we've got to trust that He is who He says He is. If this unjust judge would eventually give this woman justice because He was troubling her, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father give us what we need? So you got to trust your Father's Word. And number two, trust in your Father's ways. There are a lot of things about prayer that we're never going to understand. There are a lot of questions that you might have, a lot of doubts that you may have, but we have got to just trust our Father's ways. He commands us to pray without ceasing, so we obey and we trust His ways. Notice in this verse, it says in verse 7, Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? God isn't always going to answer your prayers on your timetable. He's not always going to answer your prayers the way you think they should be answered. But remember Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. We've got to trust in His ways that His timing is not always our timing. And just wait on the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. And in this passage, and if you look at the surrounding context, The hope of the believer is in the return of Christ. That when He comes, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. We'll be like Him. He's going to rule on this earth. Finally, we're going to have the justice that we crave. Finally, God will make all things new and all things well. And that is where our hope is. But we've got to trust in God's Word. We've got to trust in His ways. And how can we do that to the Lord Jesus returns? By praying always. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this instruction that you've given us. I do pray that you would help all of us to every day take seriously this matter of prayer. I pray that you would teach us to pray always. Father, I pray that you would remind us of what a great privilege it is we have and help us to recognize that without you, we can do nothing. We can't face our enemy We can't do anything good apart from your help. So, Father, would you teach us to pray? Please work in this invitation as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.